there are <clears throat> three elements of inside dialogue that work together. They are <clears throat> the meditative element, the relational element, and the wisdom element. And even though it's necessary to have some context for our practice, so that the wisdom element has to be explored properly as we begin, the foundation is the meditative element, the qualities of the meditating mind. So I've been reflecting quite continuously where we are in this retreat. And I think we've provided for now enough of the wisdom element, enough of the context, except one little piece that I'll provide now. So the call is to further cultivate the meditative element. the mindfulness, the concentration. So perhaps I'll speak more in depth on tanha another time because I think it would incline the mind too much to thinking And what we really are about in this work is direct experience. The wisdom and any thought is simply to guide the experience. It's it's like the rails. But it's the direct apprehension that's the essence of what we're doing. Reflecting, I also uh, came to believe, perhaps wrongly, that I'd been making some assumptions that I'd like to kind of backfill, uh, teaching at a esteemed Buddhist center like this. <clears throat> uh, 
it's a fundamental um, understanding that I assumed was present about what the Four Noble Truths are, because that's really the context that says, what are we doing? And I have mentioned in some way all of them, but I think we can do Four Noble Truths and Four Noble Minutes and really uh, provide a background for people who come to this work mostly through a decontextualized practice of mindfulness. Because looking at the um, application forms, which I have done you know, when I arrived, but looking at them again, I see that that might be helpful. And the first noble truth is really just a simple statement about the human predicament. That we're born into a body-mind, sensitive, so sensitive. And this incredibly powerful mind that takes what we are sensitive to, both the natural world and the complex human world, which is the relational part, and tries to understand, tries to get oriented, tries to get what it wants, tries to feel a happy, satisfied, stable. But the world is so unstable, so astonishingly complex and in some sense, given the sensitivity of this organism, so confrontational, even without hatred, it's confrontational. Having something taken away, having someone you love die, not getting what you want, having unpleasant things around you sometimes. The mind seeking satisfaction, seeking a sense of stability, of inner self and safety, but it's not possible to maintain. That's the predicament. That's what's named in this first truth, sometimes condensed as suffering, but doesn't quite capture it. The dis-ease or the unsatisfactoriness that actually, as long as we're caught in the frantic result of this sensitivity and this powerful fabricating brain-mind in a world of contingency. There's no out. There's no... uh, no place to find a lasting happiness and peace. The second noble truth is that the engine that drives this dissatisfaction is the engine of longing, of hunger, of not just what does this body-mind need to survive, what does it need relationally just because we're 
created and structured, the brain is structured relationally, what's actually needed. And what is pulled towards in an attempt to fill this hole and find this elusive pleasure, this elusive self, this elusive stability, and this hunger of constantly trying to fill and eat the world is the origin of this constant unsatisfactoriness, just occasionally interrupted by moments, perhaps, for some of us, if we're lucky, moments of stability or ease or deep joy. And the third noble truth is beautifully simple and bafflingly profound. When this hunger diminishes and comes to rest, this unsatisfactoriness ends. There's this cessation, and a life is actually possible. This is a stunning vision. A life is actually possible that's not driven by hunger. This doesn't mean the body doesn't age. It doesn't mean that there's still not complex relationships. It doesn't mean that there are still not sharp things that will puncture the skin or harsh words that one may hear. But in the cessation of the urge for it to be a certain way, to fill oneself up, to land in stability, the mind is free. The mind is free in exactly this life. here and now. That's the third noble truth. It's not a heaven. It's not a nothing. It's simply the heart that is free of this furtive urge, this constant dissatisfaction. And the fourth noble truth is simply how this can come about. It's a path. The classic description is you have the disease, you have the medicine. And the Eightfold Path is this really uh, just way of describing how one can live, how one can practice in a way that can bring about 
the diminishing and even the cessation of this hunger. Penetrating the ignorance of being locked in in not understanding this predicament, which is the norm to not understand this. That can bring about a penetration, a a releasing, a relaxing of the sense of the self that has to be constantly fed and protected so that there can be a way of being in this world active, compassionate, loving, wise that is deeply, deeply happy, deeply, deeply peaceful not dependent upon conditions not dependent upon conditions not dependent upon conditions do you understand that? That's the key. So I can't do the Eightfold Path in eight minutes. I can. I've done it easily. But just so you understand this path so it doesn't feel abstract, it begins with understanding what is going on here, which is what we're doing. These words are a practice of right view. Your listening is practicing the first path factor of right view. Now, that's what we're doing. This is a practice. Understanding what we're talking about, really letting the heart be touched and transformed by this understanding, coming to it directly and eventually fully, the heart simply turns towards the letting go rather than the grabbing. Do you see that? As long as we believe that the satisfaction can be found, this is where our hunger will drive us. Get me more good relationships. Get me more whipped cream. And this points to the second path factor, intention, the turning of the heart. As long as we believe that this is the path, this path of gobbling up, getting, protecting, then that's how we'll spend all our energy. But wise view, wise understanding, the heart turns, that's all, the heart turns. Because you still want the same thing, the happiness, the peace, and so on. But you have wisdom. That's all. So there's a sense of letting go and and resting in qualities of compassion and love rather than qualities of selfishness. That's very simple, really. Very simple. And then the Intention drives the action. Now your actions are actions of love. Your actions are actions of compassion. Your actions are actions of letting go rather than accumulating, getting. So that's the speech, action, and how you live. And as the mind and the heart and the body even become more refined through that way of being, 
then there's this piece that is explicitly described that has to do with how the mind can be cultivated in such a way to deepen and sustain that movement. This is right effort. And it's right mindfulness, which is the piece that was extracted and has been of such benefit in other ways. And right calm concentration, which heightens the the liberating power of this whole path process that I just described. That's all. Which yields deeper wisdom, deeper understanding, and this deeper in turning towards freedom, towards letting go. And that cycle is the refinement of the path. That's all. So that's what we're doing here. Soup to nuts. That's it. So it's this meditative element that we're going to give a more consistent and refined attention to now. Now that we understand what we're doing and why. And we also understand something of the how, don't we? We've got all the insight dialogue guidelines now. Ways of balancing practice and holding this quality, cultivating this quality of the meditating heart-mind, even when we're in relational contact. We have the support for that. So now we do the work. All right? I'd like to give you some time to drop deeper into your silence, to reflect and relax. So let's take a uh, 20-minute walk. And I'd like to encourage a simple practice, just noticing if there's mindfulness. You can notice what you're mindful of, but it doesn't much matter. And if you see that the mind is wandering about, You can notice the stress of that, invite relaxing, and just be where you are, taking the next step and the next one. Is there mindfulness now? What's that like? For those of you who have ever uh, heard of or studied with Utejaniya, it's along those lines. Just where's mindfulness now? Simple. Does it make sense? It's okay if it doesn't. Great. So a bell will ring and I'll see you soon.